Welcome to Midwest Mixtape, a podcast that focuses on the landscape of the music industry across the heartland of the U.S. We're sitting down with Midwest musicians from a range of backgrounds and genres to talk about their experiences pursuing their passions as a profession. We're your hosts. I'm Natalie Novak. And I'm Emily Polstoy. Today, we're sitting down with Allegra Hernandez, a talented musician and educator from Des Moines, Iowa, known for their intricate music that blend rock, punk, and melodic hooks. Allegra, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Emily and Natalie, for having me. Really excited about this. Awesome. Well, we'll just hop into things. And can you just tell us a little bit about your background in music, um, a little bit about your education as well? Sure. So, yeah, I'm Allegra. Um, I'm a musician. I'm, I'm a multi-instrumentalist. I focus mainly on guitar, but I can play keyboard and bass and I sing. I've been learning drums for the past couple of years, but my start in music started when I was nine. I I took classical piano lessons, but when I was 12, I started listening to like kind of like rock music and wanted to learn guitar. So I've been playing guitar for about 12, 13 years, and um, I I took it really seriously Uh, throughout high school. I did a lot of music-related activities, and um, I decided I wanted to actually study music in school just because it was something I was so passionate about, and education is something important to me. So yeah, I went to school for music at McNally Smith College of Music that was formerly located in St. Paul, Minnesota. But unfortunately, my school closed down halfway through my program. So I transferred my credits to Berkeley College of Music's online program where I graduated from in 2020. But um, yeah, I had a great experience there and learned a lot. Um, my major was guitar performance. So it was a lot of like ensembles, like technique, applied theory, sight reading. But my main passion is my my own project I do I, as Allegra Hernandez, a solo artist. I have a band that plays with me, and um, I've been gigging regularly around Des Moines for about hmm, almost two years now. So um, yeah, I do that, and I also am the music director at School of Rock in West Des Moines, and then I also work with the nonprofit organization Girls Rock Des Moines, which is something I'm really passionate about. Um, as a as a queer non-binary musician, I feel really passionate about uplifting um, queer youth and empowering youth through music. So that's important to me. And yeah, just trying to be as versatile as possible in my music career so far. When did you know you wanted to be a musician? And did you ever consider moving somewhere else to pursue that? Yeah, so thanks for asking. I really just knew from a pretty young age that I wanted to be a musician since I was like 12. Um, And I didn't know throughout like middle school and early high school I didn't really realize it was something attainable for me um and you know my my I don't come from a musical family you know so I do have like cousins that play in bands and stuff but I'm not super close with them and I just knew from a young age it's something I wanted to do for life and in high school I had the opportunity I went to Urbandale High School here in um, Iowa and I had the opportunity to be a student at City Voices Des Moines which is like a nonprofit, and it, it's mostly focusing on like vocal lessons so I took some voice lessons but the director of City Voices Marion Sims was like hey like have you ever thought about applying to like a music school and I was 
was like, no, because I didn't know that was really a thing. And I, I, my grades in high school were not good. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to have been accepted to like a four-year university. I would have had to either, you know, take my missing classes at like community college, which is fine, or just have not gone right into college. But since it's, I was like, well, this is something I'm good at and the acceptance is on, on merit. It's by your audition, you know, more so than like your grades and your GPA. And so my first school was actually located in the Twin Cities. So when I was 18, which was in like 2016, I moved to St. Paul, Minnesota, and I lived there. I lived in the Twin Cities for about two years. Um, so I actually did move to a different city and I loved I loved the Minneapolis and like St. Paul music scene. It was so vibrant and I used to be in like a DIY punk band um, and we played a lot of like house shows and we I had the chance to go on tour for the first time and I got the chance to play in like 15 different U.S. states which was really fun and it was like a Dodge Caravan <laughs> we were driving in. It was just like our van um, and it was really a fun experience and I also got the chance to just get a really awesome education on my instrument and just in music because I didn't really know much about music theory before college, you know, so I'm glad I have that basis um, because it really helps now being a music educator to know that. It's kind of important. So um, in terms of answering the question, have I ever thought of moving? The answer is yes, um, because one, I've done it before. And so when I moved back here, the first like six months of moving back here, I was like, why did I move back to Iowa? Like I moved from the Twins cities, which is a super vibrant music city. But the reason why I really appreciate um, Des Moines slash Iowa now more than I have when I was growing up is like it's a mid-sized city and it's it has been way easier for me to gain recognition and to actually be in positions of like leadership that I may have not gotten while I was living in a bigger city, you know? Um, so Sometimes, like, I don't know if this is my forever home, but I think for now, it, while I'm, I have s these successes that are immediate in life, I'm just trying to, like, make the most of living here and make it a better city, a better place to be, because Iowa really does need support in, like, arts and culture, you know, it's not something that's prioritized, and, um, so yeah, that, thanks for highlighting this, so that, uh, uh, for this interview you're doing, but... So the, I guess uh, it's not my forever home, but we'll see. One reflection we kind of had was like, we also thought kind of like when we were trying to figure out like, what's this podcast going to be about? That kind of thing. We were talking about how Midwesterners like have like a, we almost think that they have like a stronger love for music in a way because like, yeah. because we don't get like a ton of big bands coming through. Like, I feel like Iowans are, or people in smaller communities as a rule are probably more likely to show up for those for any live performance because yeah, yeah. just for the love of the live performance. Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you agree, disagree? I would largely agree. Um, I do think as someone who lived and played a lot in the Twin Cities, I, that's very apparent. The The support for, for local music in the Twin Cities is really strong, but I do think that extends to most Midwestern cities. I do think, to be honest, I do think Des Moines in particular could be better, but like I know Iowa City is like great, you know, yeah. and like Ames, like kind of college town. So yeah. 
while I do think Des Moines could be better and there could be more audiences, because I've had conversations with certain venue owners and, and staff at local venues around here saying like, hey, like we can't, it's uh, maybe on a Saturday night it's full, but we can't draw people. Uh, it seems like since post-COVID, like 2020, 2021, like it seems like people have been really slow to come back to like live shows. So they there may not be as as full as like what they would normally be right now. But I would think, I do think the Midwest has such a strong appreciation for local art and music because there's not like national, big national acts coming through as much. I was actually going to mention like COVID. I feel like that probably had a big impact on that scene. Just in general, like everywhere, everywhere I go, I feel like it just like turnouts are smaller. Like I feel like it made all of us like more home, more of homebodies. So I was wondering, like, did you think that I guess it's hard to say because you graduated and kind of got into the industry around the same time. But my my graduation year was 2020. So it was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what did like the first year look like post-grad? Like, well, really the first year was, that was 2021. That was like really when I started being more active with playing. Like I really started playing in like July of 2021 because I had always played shows, but kind of like in 2019 and 20, I wasn't playing very much live. But when I, not to, I something I feel proud of, um, one of the first local shows I played was at XBK, which well, is like right here XBK, at yeah. Me Too. And um, I played there in July of 2021 for their live local loud series. And that was kind of like the year post pandemic. And the venue owner um, had told me like, hey, like your show was our biggest show we've had, like in terms of ticket sales since like post pandemic for our venue. So and I felt really proud of that because it was, I think, 86 people, like 86 ticket sales. But um, wow. it was I feel really proud of that. But I've definitely played shows where it's like a weeknight where there's like 20 or less people you know um which that's that's like pretty typical and that's understandable um but it's been like kind of a mix because some shows i see are like as i said like the 20 or less or like 30 or less and then there are shows like um you know whether like um i don't know like this is i haven't got had the chance to go out to one of these shows but like the monday night live shows it's like a ton of people and i think it's kind of a mix i i don't know if i see a clear pattern um other than i think some shows could be a bit more well attended than they are but yeah so if people listening want to come see you, do you have any shows upcoming? Where where can they find you when? Yeah, so um so I I play like at least two to four shows a month. So uh, next month, I'm actually playing out of Des Moines a little bit. So um, April 20th, I'm playing in Iowa City with Sophie Mitchell, Miss Christine and Death Kill Overdrive. We're playing at the James Theater, and that's 420. And then on 421, um, I'm playing at Octopus College Hill in Cedar Falls, which is kind of by like the UNI campus. And I'm playing with this really awesome band called Salt Fox. And then on 422, I am playing in Des Moines at Woolies. Um, I'm actually, it's gonna, it's gonna be a really interesting lineup for me to be on, but I'm excited about it. I'm actually playing with some like some hip hop artists, uh, like Be Well, Teller Banks, like Lady Revel, um, Johnny, Johnny Mars. I'm playing with some hip hop artists and they were, uh, I'm really excited to be in that show because it's going to be like a different genre that we're used to playing. Yeah. Um, and then I have um, in June and uh, June, we're playing Iowa City Pride 
I'm, I'm hoping to play Des Moines Pride. I applied for it. I haven't oh, got awesome. back yet. I would love to play Des Moines Pride. Um, and then we are, uh, when I say we, I, it's it's my project, but I have bandmates that play right. with me. Uh, yeah. We're playing um, 8035, which oh, is July. Thanks. It's Saturday, July 8th, and we're playing, um, I think, at 2.30 p.m. on the Come and Go stage, which is one of the free stages. So you don't have to, like, get a ticket to see me oh, play. Awesome. It's free. Yeah. No excuses, guys. (laughs) Um, And then I guess I do have music on major platforms and Bandcamp. It's just Allegra Hernandez. And I have a full-length LP out there called Gift Exchange. They just released last November. And I do have an EP from 2020 called Pearl. So you can find my music and... um, I have a music video out for one of my songs called Use My Fucking Pronouns. And then I'm going to be releasing another music video like in a a month or so here for another song on YouTube. So speaking of Use My Fucking Pronouns, I am curious. So we saw that uh, when we were doing our research, we saw that you got some backlash on that. Yes. Um, So I'm curious to know. What are your thoughts? I know that you responded and said, I don't really care. (laughs) So I'm curious to know your thoughts about that. If you feel comfortable talking. Yeah, if you feel comfortable. Thanks for asking. So, yeah, so uh, one thing I'll say really quick. I'm very grateful because um, Lindsay Moon from Iowa Public Radio, she is the one of the executive producers for like Studio One and like the music portion. She gave me the chance to kind of publicize a, a direct response through their blog. I think um, that's so we found. cool. Yeah. But and so I will say, like looking back at it, I feel so much more at peace with things. Um, but it started happening actually around Thanksgiving. It literally started on Thanksgiving last year. I released my video and, you know, I play in a band with my bass player. Her name is Vimka and, you know, I'm non-binary and she's a trans woman. And we were, we discovered through my YouTube analytics that my video got shared on like a bunch of alt-right pages like 4chan and like really hateful based groups on like Facebook and stuff. And it got shared to like uh, the wrong crowd of people. So when I I I um I didn't get anything on Instagram because that's generally a good platform to post stuff. But on Facebook and YouTube, I got like hundreds of comments. And on the Facebook post, I got like um, thousands of like laugh reacts on the video. I got I won't repeat any like comments because they're very like vulgar. But I got super like hateful, like hundreds of like hateful transphobic comments that were just like degrading. Some of them were really creepy and were even like kind of violent references. Referencing like violence and they were you know calling me like an it or like he she and they were just saying these like really horrible things and this was like my first major music video release and when I made the song you know I wasn't trying to speak for anyone but myself I'm, I wasn't even trying to speak for anyone in my community um it was just my thoughts and I purposely made the lyrics super repetitive because I which I think a lot of people don't realize this because I've even submitted my song to like playlists and some of the feedback is like the lyrics are very predictable and repetitive and I'm like the reason why is the amount of times I get called by the wrong pronoun it over and over so I wanted to be like say the, the same thing over and over like I've repeated the chorus so many times but a lot of people were making fun of it and um, it got as I said got shared to the wrong spots online and I actually turned my you can still comment on the video but I 
on YouTube, but I actually had to turn it to manual review because I was getting like so many comments on it and I uh, I deleted them and there's another part of me that was like, should I just like not delete the comments and should I just let these accumulate because maybe that will bring attention to the video, which it did, but I just, and, and I know people, people say things like any attention is good attention. They're like, any attention is good. And it's like, sure, but not, not for this because I kind of feel like that was at the expense of like my personhood. And I, even though I would love my video to blow up and go viral, I just, I have a lot of integrity in, in my music. And as someone who works with like queer youth, I think of them all the time because I want to be a good example for them. And I want younger queer people to see like a if they want to be like a musician, I want them to be, to be able to see like a queer musician like me, see the positives and be like, this is, this person is well loved and appreciated. Of course, I don't want to censor things from them. And I made it very clear what I experienced, but I don't, I don't want my video to, to go viral because of like uh, trolls, I guess. Even though maybe it, maybe it could have ended up getting more positive reception, I just, I just kind of have a lot of integrity in my music and I just didn't want that to happen. So I pretty much like spent like almost three days like split up having to go and delete comments and I made my my drummer and my mom an administrator of my page so they could help me delete comments and I got like really hateful messages and it was like yeah it was a whole thing but I'm still very proud of the video and I do think the video and the song like the, the message speaks for itself and it was such a simple statement like hey use someone's pronouns they want to be called and just respect who people's identity and that one simple thing like people got you know mad because it's the right thing you know well i'm really yeah. sorry that you experienced that especially yeah. when like music is supposed to be a creative fun outlet yeah. and then you get shit on for that like that's horrible and i i'm sending i'm sorry about that oh thank yeah thank you yeah like that honestly like it breaks my heart to hear you talk about it because like to see somebody who's, like, being so vulnerable and being so, like, really, like, coming to Iowa, like, you are a trailblazer, like, coming out with that message and and being a role model for those, the queer youth that you're talking about and even just, like, even just existing, like, literally for you to, like, this cool, you put together this amazing video, you write this great song and to be met with so much negativity is, like, terrible. Seriously. And that shouldn't have happened. I am curious to know, like, um, with all the legislation in the past year, like, what is your experience being an artist and a creative and a queer individual in Iowa? It's, like, so hard. Oh, my God. Like, I... I can't even like think about that sometimes because I'm just like, it's just so hard because even though that legislation, I mean, at, at least right now, it's not affecting me personally because I'm not a minor and I don't go to school and I don't have to use a school bathroom and I'm not a minor trying to do HRT, you know, but I don't think they're the people legislating these laws they're not gonna stop at minors they're gonna they're gonna try to go after everyone that's trans and because that's it, that they don't they want trans people to be erased these this legislation is life-threatening bathroom bills are life-threatening because already trans youth are at a much higher risk for suicide um i have trans students and two in particular are you know under 18 they're 15 16 and i have one student that has uh, who is who has been you know on um, puberty blockers and again it's like I'm not saying it's I'm not saying this is anyone's business I'm speaking on this for a point I'm not 
I'm just trying to say that this person, my student, has been doing what was the requirement, has been working really hard, has been going to to see a gender therapist for like over a year and has been working really hard to obtain the permission to start taking, you know, HRT. And and he was like just about to start the, the process and can't do it anymore and did all of this work as a young trans uh, trans individual to do this. And now he like suddenly can't. And um, it, it makes me feel really worried about mental health of, of trans youth. Um, and I was even talking to my bass player. Um, I, I play in a band with my bass player and guitar player who are amazing, uh, Vimka and Ayla, and they are, they're both trans women. And I was talking with Vimka and she was like, she's looking at like moving to like out of state because, because um, in the state of Iowa, Medicaid uh, when it was in when it was like Democratic and Republican leadership, uh, a, a judge ruled that it was unconstitutional for Medicaid to not cover gender affirming care, whether it be like surgery or HRT. And she's like considering moving out of the state because like she wants to be able to obtain like gender affirming care mm-hmm. and for herself and, you know, continue with her transition and that's not gonna that's not you can't do that in Iowa now and they're gonna restrict that they're starting with youth because it because it makes sense because they're like oh because protect the youth and it's like that conservative narrative they're more vulnerable like you know it's the same thing where they're like kids can't go to drag shows yeah same thing yeah yeah. so my I know I kind of just spoke on some experiences of others right now um and again I wasn't trying to air out a personal personal business I just wanted to explain the very real issues that I'm seeing and for me um I feel I don't I feel uncomfortable like so uncomfortable to like living in a state like this where all the close people in my life where I'm even affected um and just feeling invisible a lot being non-binary and uh, just feeling like not seen by either side by by like of course by like you know transphobic conservative people but also sometimes not being fully seen by like sometimes people within the lgbtq community and it's just i feel scared and i i I think about it all the time when i even when i don't want to and i see directly how it directly affects my friends um students and other people like in our in our community that are trans it's I can see the direct correlation and it makes me feel worried for safety for people's safety and their well-being and I don't want I what I the the people legislating these bills are I don't know what they're thinking but people can die from this stuff like they're they people will die from this you know like just from mental health and lack of resources and and supposedly i saw a statistic and i don't know how true it actually is because i always think it's because you know people are like oh there's only like 16 percent of people identify as like gay or four percent or but i saw recently like less supposedly less than one percent of the population identifies as trans i personally think it might be more but (laughs) i'm not a scientist or a statistic person but if that is the case when you have things like childhood hunger when there's so much so many problems with childhood hunger in iowa and lack of like mental health resources and so many other problems our educational system and and your thought is like, oh, we have all these problems, but like the real problem here is like the less than 1% of the population who may identify as trans. And so why are you like hurting more of the, of your, 
population that you're supposed to represent as in like government, you know? Seriously. Yeah. I worked at a nonprofit that worked in like food insecurity in Des Moines yeah. and the amount of times that we tried to go to the Capitol and try to get some legislation, like nothing. But then suddenly they can, they have the time yes. to spend doing, working on this. It's, it's insane. That's so frustrating. Like I think that's a lot of like what I've been seeing on social media too is like as a, a reaction from the public, it's like there are so many other things to address yeah. and this is what we're spending our time on. Yeah. Why? And like how can insane. you even how can you even speak out as a straight white person on behalf of other people's identities? You just can't. You don't know what, what their experience is and yeah. it's insane. And um, kind of to comment on – talking about how you you didn't mean to be like telling somebody else's story or like airing out um your students business but i think obviously you as a teacher i understand like that like you have to do that for sure yeah. but um thank you for sharing that story because a, a lot of people don't realize that so many people don't even know that yeah. that people like that exist and that situations like that happen and like i think that's the only way you'll see anything change is that more people will know you know and that's the only time that people's minds are going to change about it like because when i remember about a year ago when that first the first like um piece came out that was like a for um transgender students not being able to participate in sports and that like was shocking to me and to think that things have even like progressed further how much can you push the push the push the line you know and at that point like i remember thinking like just like obviously like this is so terrible you know but like i didn't have anybody in my life that i knew was going through that like as a college student i don't know anybody in des moines that's like not around my age you know so um that's fair are you like, from des moines i'm from cedar Rapids. okay okay so, so yeah. like iowa yeah so i i know what it's like like yeah. okay. um yeah. what the climate of iowa is like and like the political yeah. side of that yeah, no, thanks for sharing, saying that. I definitely, um, it makes me feel worried for my, for, for just my, for trans youth and minors and our, and uh, another thing that, you know, people passing this legislation, like a lot of conservative people are, they're talking about uh, something they highlight a lot is detransitioning. Like, oh, I started my, this person started their transition. Of course, they don't use they, them. They will say like whatever pronoun. They'll just misgender the person. But they'll talk about them starting the transition and then like years later, they started their transition as a minor, but now as an adult, they're they're deciding so that it's wrong. And, and I'm just like, I, and it's like, guess what? Who cares? Because it's b much better that to have the freedom to Seriously. explore yourself. Because even because there's I I have a lot of kids. I've had kids who I've had maybe when they were 12 years old, and now you know a few years later they're like 15, and their perception of themselves has grown deeper because they're a kid. So when you're a kid, like you know you want to explore yourself and see who you are, and if you're influenced by someone who's a positive influence, or maybe you follow a positive trans role model online and you and you like and people want to be like their role models but they're not they're not just doing it as a trend as what like conservative people are saying they're they're having these serious feelings and self-reflection and even if they live as one gender for a few years and then maybe they're like okay as I get older I don't think I'm this that's okay because in any other facet of life that's socially acceptable like it's okay to explore like whatever this year I'm gonna play like 
I'm going to, I don't know, I do this sport for, I'm not going to compare. You're going to try something new. And it's not wrong to do that. So when conservative people highlight detransitioning, it's just funny to me because in any other facet of life, it's okay for people to experience themselves in different realms Mm -hmm. and to explore who they are as a person. And kids do know what they want for themselves. I think youth should have more rights of autonomy. When adults assume that youth are not smart enough or aware to make meaningful decisions for themselves, that is that is wrong to think because we need to trust youth and someone who's not like super old like I'm only 25 but I really try to keep teen Allegra in my head because I know even if I didn't have a clear understanding of what I wanted and um, I wanted to pursue some some things in terms of like transitioning when I was younger I always like knew who I was and kind of what where I wanted to be and adults need to trust in youth to select meaningful decisions for themselves that involves just themselves like I understand if it's external and and it's like oh you could be putting yourself in a dangerous situation or maybe you're hanging out with the wrong group of friends or something but we just need to trust youth that they know themselves way more than we will Mm -hmm. so yeah can you talk a little bit about working with youth at that nonprofit and how what experience you've had there and just yeah. like about what it is yeah. in general and same with um the school you mentioned work that you work at yeah um, sure it was girls who rock and or then girls the, rock yeah yep the school of, uh-huh. the school of music yeah school of, school rock. of rock so i have okay. two is it in west des I, school of rock is in west des moines and okay it's by a sushi place okay. yeah, obviously i work there oh well gosh. first i think i will talk about girls rock des moines first because yeah. chronologically i i started working there first um i worked there seasonally in the summers um i started working with them when i was 19 so girls rock des moines is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that empowers youth through music and when we say youth it are our, our organization it's called girls rock so it is for girls um but it's also for trans not gender non-conforming or like non-binary youth as well um and we empower them through music so it's an amazing program rooted in music self-empowerment community social justice and just all these other awesome components and how it works is in the it's we do have year-round events, but the main synopsis of the program is we have summer camps, and they're two-week-long camps, and they're not overnight camps, but just two weeks, Monday through Friday. The campers are assigned bandmates, and some of them have never played an instrument in their lives. They take instrument lessons, and they do a different workshops and classes, and in two weeks, they have to write an original song and do a cover song, and we, we do artists that are like female artists or just non-male artists, and then they perform a showcase which historically we've always had our showcase at Woolies. And some of them have never touched an instrument before. And we we cover things like, you know, gender and sexuality, race, culture, ethnicity, ability versus disability. And we also do like poetry, songwriting, yoga. Like we do like every year we have some different classes and workshops at our camps. But it's such a magical experience. And Girls Rock celebrated their 10-year anniversary this year because they started in like 2012, 2013. And we just had our first adults camp retreat. It was a week weekend retreat which I worked so there cool. it was for adults because we serve sign up <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you you all should do it next year it was it's so fun um but I guess um we've served youth ages 8 through 18 mostly oh then we do we now are newly 
have our adult programming. And Girls Rock also does monthly open mics at like XBK. Um, they do Girls Rock. Oftentimes you'll find stands for like the farmer's market, you know, like they're, they have their stand everywhere. And um, they do some other events like, yeah, open mics. Um, we our, our campers have the opportunity to perform at like the arts festival or the youth stage at 8035. And wow. so Girls Rock is incredible. Um, so yeah, uh, girlsrockdemoine.org is the website. And um, th- and again, it's a nonprofit. And th- at Girls Rock, I'm a guitar instructor and band coach. So I help coach my band to perform. And again, some of them have never played an instrument. So it's a whole thing. But that's a wonderful organization. And I when I lived in Minneapolis, so Girls Rock Des Moines is part of a national umbrella called the Girls Rock Camp Alliance. And there's different Girls Rock camps in major cities. And I worked at the, mini- at the Minneapolis camp called or the Minneapolis org called She Rock, She Rock. Um, okay. So it's cool. Um, and then School of Rock is uh, is different. It's not a nonprofit. Um, so School of Rock is for um, all students, and we have uh, students ages three to however old, adults. And um, School of Rock is a international music lesson franchise, and um, there's you can find School of Rocks in different cities. They just opened one in like Cedar Rapids, Marion, and um, but School of Rock is a performance-based music education uh, lessons place. Yeah. They did because I, yeah. so when I was home over spring break, I totally saw it. Yeah, they have one there now. I was like, that's so funny. I, I remember looking at the sign and I was like, I wonder what that is. Yeah, yeah, no, it's. <laughs> I'm in, sorry, that was just weird. So I just want to share, everyone thinks it's the movie. The, I know. That's what that's I thought what of I at first. Even the no. logo looks like it too yeah. a little bit. So the movie is actually based off of the first School of Rock location oh. that opened in Pennsylvania, the Paul Green School of Rock. It's And it's grown into what it is today. So um, it is based. Well, the movie is based off of the the, the place. That is so cool. Yeah. Of so course, cool. it doesn't... <laughs> Our education is not quite like right. Jack Black <laughs> teaching kids how to play. No, it's, it's, um, but yeah, our students, um, we have performance-based music education programs. Our, we're not like a typical lesson studio where we just offer lessons and it's like, okay, once a week for 30 minutes. Um, our students, we have different levels of programming, but our main programming is called the performance program. And we have students typically in that group 10 to 18, and they are assigned a group. Um, and we have different themed shows. So like right now we're doing like the clash we're doing like southern rock um we're doing like pink floyd's the wall album and michael jackson versus prince and we've done all these different shows like we've done like joan jett like led zeppelin and it's it is based in classic rock and rock adjacent genres like blues funk motown soul or pop and our students have 45 minute private lessons every week and they learn like we have a a method called song first learning approach where the students rather than like okay we're gonna spend like three months learning scales and like music theory and then we'll learn a song we our lessons are structured where it's song first we teach them cool songs not like twinkle little star like like we teach them like maybe like seven nation army by the white stripes or like whatever like i love rock and roll by joan jett and songs they want to play they, so actual actual fun <laughs> songs not I mean, Twinkle Little Star can be fun, but 
<laughs> yeah, and then through there, we break down the song to teach these other lessons of applied theory or technique and stuff. And like, okay, like, so Hound Dog by Elvis Presley is a 12-bar blues. So here's what we can break down from this song. Or like, yeah, like, I don't know. They're, you know, just Wild Thing by the Trogs has a 1-4-5 chord progression and just stuff like that. And so then our students rehearse for several weeks in their performance groups and they put on real shows at real venues in town rather than having like student recitals. Um, It's like an organized show. Um, And we do have some students that are lessons only, but the majority of our students at the school are in a program for performance. What a cool organization. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, it's cool. Both of those organizations are awesome. Yeah, thanks. I, like... I know the going on to the podcast, I knew what to expect, and I learned, you're like, hey, we want to talk about, like, what, how to have a successful career as a Midwest-based musician, and I guess I'm very grateful that Des Moines and Iowa has these two organizations, and there's other great, awesome music-based organizations and music education places in town and stuff, but these two jobs... Um, you know, specifically School of Rock, just because it's full-time, um, and being the music director there, the you know, that allows me to work in music for my day job instead of, like, working at, like, Starbucks or something, you know, and then I can still play all my shows, and that's always my goal, even though it's really hard. I do, my goal is I want to be able to make all my income from music, which I do right now, and I'm very grateful for that. I don't have, um, and it doesn't make anyone any less of a musician or a successful person if you know, a lot of musicians, if you tour a lot, have to have like random restaurant jobs or like a warehouse job. And that's totally fine. Um, But it's just important for me that I try my best as I go through life to try to just do music as my main thing and make all my money from music. And it's not about money, but to me, um, not everyone can get on like Phoebe Bridger's level of success of like where you can perform every night and so it's important for me to like actually have a sustainable career and and I'm also really proud of my bandmate Vimka she is a sound engineer and she works at different venues like she's a specifically she you know she works at like XBK and like the temple like at performing arts and she does live sound and so yeah she's a sound engineer and aspiring producer so it's really great to be around like like like-minded musicians you know what has been your biggest career highlight Oh, okay. That's a really good question. Um, well, I'll just speak more recently. I guess something that has been one of the biggest highlights for me recently, uh, out of every facet of where I'm working with different the two organizations and my my as I said earlier, my personal music is like my biggest passion, even if it's the least like, you know, it's it's um but releasing my first album was a really big highlight of my career because through releasing it, um I was able to get a lot of recognition, at least statewide, um, with like Little Village Magazine and like Iowa Public Radio. And I've gotten a lot more opportunities from releasing the album and it's been getting, I mean, it's, it has good reception. Um, it's, it's, the numbers are like not what matters. Like it has, it has like an okay amount of streams, you know, but that's not really like the point of it for me. Just releasing the album has propelled me to to new areas it has allowed me probably gave me the chance to play at like 8035 and I'm going to be in October I'm going to be doing an IPR all access live session Um, so and because I played my album release show and there were some IPR people at the show and they were like oh my gosh like you should do this 
And I think it's been giving me a lot of opportunities to be seen as like a legitimate career artist, you know? That's my, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, for real. That's awesome. And I mean, like, maybe, who knows, like, maybe some people will hear about you from here even. Oh my gosh, that'd be so cool. This is such a cool podcast. Thank you. I'm going to be listening to myself and being like, oh my gosh, why did I really say that? Like, I'm going to be like. me when I'm editing, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I'll text you when it comes out. Okay, yeah, I'll share it online. Yeah, you totally should. Um. Um, So I guess lastly, to wrap things up, what advice would you have for anyone that's trying to pursue their passion? doesn't have to be music, but just chasing their passion. Thanks for asking. Um, So I think just for advice, speaking on like what has helped me, um, always being authentic. And when you are taking and there's that stereotype where it's like, say, make sure to say yes to everything because you never know if you say yes to everything, something could open the door. I, well, I partially agree with that. I do think you 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 should be allowed to be selective on of things and make make a plan for yourself and be really thoughtful of where you're placing yourself. What kinds of people are you around? Are you around friends, like old friends from like high school? or I don't know. Like, are you around friends that don't empower you? Like, make sure to be around people that unequivocally want the best for you and that you feel like you can always be yourself around so that you can be empowered in your career. And I think when you're getting to know other professionals and connections sometimes the best way to connect with people is what in my experience like it's it's, sometimes it's not even talking about music with them like I'm just like oh like did you try that new restaurant that opened oh yeah oh what's your name I'm this and I work at this music organization I'm like I'm Allegra and I do this and becoming friends with people and and actually listening more than you might speak because like you can learn so much from what's around you and if I'm talking so much I'm not always listening to what could help me forward my career and yeah authenticity awareness listening and making genuine connections that are that are long lasting and not that that don't just fit your immediate need and making sure that you are doing it doing it for you and making sure to not have super high expectations of what can come from things because sometimes my band and I and me as an artist I've played shows where I made like twelve dollars you know and that's not very good but but then a bigger opportunity got opened up because I accepted a not as cool gig or something and I accepted it anyway but then even though I didn't gain that much success from like that specific gig then later someone was like hey remember I I met you at this show and I want to like do photos with you or something like that you know the exposure yeah which yeah and of course exposure is like it's if you don't always have to play for exposure but be thoughtful about it so I think that's kind of what I would say just always listen to yourself and sometimes you have to do things you don't want and you have to when you will you will never be prepared for something and you will never be perfect at anything and something I learned recently is that 
perfectionism is is white supremacy. It's impossible to achieve. So you might think that you're not prepared, or you, but you you are. Like you just have to do things, and you're not gonna be perfect at everything. But yeah, I think just being real with people, because that's what art is. It's it's not like there's no room to be disingenuous or or fa- or quote fake. You know, it's you have to just be real with people and um, be you and. Don't try to imitate closely someone else, you know. I feel like maybe when, like a few years from now, I might have better advice. (laughs) And I feel like I'm just starting to learn what's good for me. And there's always that pressure when you're in your 20s. Being 25, like, I feel like, I don't know, being 25, I sometimes I'm like, gosh, like, I wish I was at this point, like, four years ago. Or, like, I wish I was. It's okay if you are slightly older than your 20s and wanting to do it. Because it's okay to start late and learn something new late. And if you're wanting to have a music career, it needs to be sustainable. And you can't just think about the current. You can't always think about current trends of, like, teens teens and, like 20 year olds like you have to foster a music career that's going to be a lifelong thing you know yeah yeah and I mean I think um you bring up something really interesting and it might be unique to you like not unique to you but um unique to like an experience your experience um especially when it comes to like the conversation of mental health because what you were saying is like the general consensus in the industry is like say yes to everything but um especially when you're a vulnerable person like because of your identity like truthfully you could be in put in a violent situation if you're not selective so you have to do some self-preservation you have to protect yourself and be mindful of that like especially as we talk more and more about the importance of mental health and like as people come to value that more and more like yeah i think that's really insightful that's it i think it's good advice to share you know like and you're just starting out but a lot of other people haven't even started yet, you know, and being able to have some advice in the first year or two of your career is, is really insightful is and so important. important. Yeah. And even even though you've only had five years of like actually pursuing it, like your experience has been a lot different than other people's yeah. because of your identity, you know, like that adds a lot of layers. And yeah, so I mean, we've been talking to people who have some of the people we talked to have been in, have had a mu- career in the music industry for like 40, 30, 30 40 years. And others have like maybe like 10, 15 years, yeah, if I had to guess. Yeah. I can't really recall off the top of my head, but um, yeah. we wanted to, we purposely like wanted to get a range of people to uh, talk to so we can kind of meet all of you where you were at and yeah. see like the stages of it and kind of get the whole picture of the industry. So, yeah. I'm definitely excited to hear some of the other podcasts because yeah. I it, I would like to hear what someone who has like 40 years of experience right. and what they have to say because um, when people ask me for advice I'm like I'm like I'm so honored to be asked for advice but I'm just like I'm still like I mean as we know we're all figuring it out but especially when you're in your first like five years like you're still figuring it out you know <laughs> I think there's still so much though that p- listeners could learn from a lot of what you shared with us today so thank you so much again for thank you joining yeah us today thank and you so much both of you i'm so excited to hear this and also um i'll listen to the other ones as well so yeah, yeah. cool it was yeah. lovely to meet you thank, thank you so much. it was yeah, great to meet you, you.